you know, uh, every, every relationship in life has demands. We get that, and, and we do our best, whatever that relationship is, to help meet that demand. But like you saw up there, there are a lot of places in life where the demands just get unrealistic. Uh, when in a marriage, one spouse expects too much of the other to the point that they cannot provide it, um, it's an unreasonable expectation, and it will destroy the beautiful chance of love in a relationship. Parents can easily divide uh, themselves from their children by driving a wedge of unreasonable expectations uh, between them. I've seen friendships destroyed through the years uh, where one friend expected something of the other that that other friend just was not capable of providing, and so the friendship fell apart. And when it comes to our jobs, unrealistic demands can make the workplace miserable for all concerned. Now, back in December, before, uh, before this series began, I, I told you we were going to study this, and then I asked you, uh, we had little slips of paper in the pew, I asked you to write down the, the frustrations that you found at work, okay? And there were a whole lot of these turned in, and, and we went through and compiled those. Um, and I'm just going to give you a sampling this morning of some of the things that were written on the little papers. Here's one. Common sense is not used to make decisions, and yet I have to do what the boss demands, not because it's the best decision, but because it's the boss's decision. This one came up more often than not. I work too hard for the amount that I am paid. Here's another one. Rude customers swear at me, call me stupid, and yell at me for things I can't control. Being held responsible for the mistakes of others in the plant or the company or the office. Assigned increased responsibilities with no additional pay. Poor communication. Not being informed about things that directly affect my job. Required to form a committee before doing anything, and by the time all the appropriate people are asked to serve on the committee, the job could have been done. My boss doesn't do any work and spends time pestering us so that we can't finish our work either. And then one person simply wrote, my boss is horrible. These were recurring themes all throughout the notes, but, but the thing they all shared in common was there was something unrealistic uh, in those circumstances. Now, if it helps, and I don't know that it will, but if it helps, you've got to remember that Daniel had a horrible boss too. You want another example of that? We've given you a couple examples. If you want to read more about this, go to the book of 2 Kings and read chapter 25 uh, a little bit later on today. But let me tell you the, the story. Uh, this is about 17 years after Daniel is deported to, to Babylonia. And uh, Zedekiah is now king on the throne of what's left in uh, Jerusalem. He has been placed on the throne by Nebuchadnezzar, so he is a vassal king, a puppet king, if you please. But for some reason, Zedekiah thinks that he can rebel against Nebuchadnezzar and does so, at which point in time Nebuchadnezzar brings his army, lays siege to the city of Jerusalem, and for two years... The people inside Jerusalem have to survive, and, and at the end of two years, there's absolutely no food left of any kind, and, and the destruction of the city is inevitable. And so Zedekiah and his family and his cabinet all escape the city, only to be captured by Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers, brought to Nebuchadnezzar's tent on the battlefield, and Nebuchadnezzar lines up all of his cabinet members and all of his family, and methodically, then the soldiers go right down the line in front of Zedekiah's eyes and kill every one of his friends and his family. And then they take a sword and heat it white hot and gouge out both of his eyes. 
The last thing in life that Zedekiah ever saw was the death of his friends and family. That's Nebuchadnezzar. That's Daniel's boss. Now, hopefully knowing that will make getting up tomorrow morning and going to work easier on you, realizing that you don't work for a Nebuchadnezzar, all right? On the tough days, when you think your boss has just stepped over the line, just say, boy, I'm sure thankful he's no Nebuchadnezzar or she's no Nebuchadnezzar. Because in those kinds of environments, it's, it's, it's nice to keep certain things in perspective. Now, when we come to chapter 2, Daniel is still a very young man. He has finished his three years of training, and he's just beginning in his palace work. Now, notice what it says in verse 1 uh, and following. It says, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. Now, some people at this point in time say, aha, the Bible is in error. It says the second year of his reign here, and Daniel's already completed his three years of training in this in service. Here's what you need to know when you read that, and that is that the Babylonians counted a king's reign differently. The first year was never counted. It was considered to be a, a year of apprenticeship. It was, to, it was like a prelude or a preamble to his, his reign on the throne. And so when it says the second year, it was actually three years into this. So it fits. Daniel was done and was just beginning in his service in the palace. And then it says that he had dreams, dreams that troubled him and bothered him. I have dreams. All of us have dreams. I have dreams that trouble me and bother me as well. Uh, I have recurring dreams. Do you have recurring dreams? You know, uh, periodically, I, you know, th th my dreams, my recurring dreams go something like this. I'll get up to preach on Sunday morning, open, and I've got no notes. I, I, I have nothing to say. It's blank. It's empty. And I go into this panic. Where did I put my notes? Where am I? What, what, you know, the other dream is I don't get here on time. I get started late. I forgot to look at the clock right. Or there's traffic and I can't get around it. And the church service has already started and, and I'm not there. And there is this panic feeling. Now, I realize that my dreams are your prayers. But nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, they are nightmares for me, all right? But never have I had a dream that I thought was God trying to communicate something to me. I know that God communicated to the prophets of old in dreams and visions, but now that we have His Word, His Word is complete. I, he doesn't need to give me a dream, but boy, Nebuchadnezzar knew there was something special about this dream. When we have a bad nightmare, we chalk it up to too much cold pizza late at night, but Nebuchadnezzar knew. He knew there was something about this dream. So, in verse 2 it says, so the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. This is the king's brain trust, folks made up of four groups. The magicians uh, were also scholars. The enchanters were those who were consultors of the zodiac. Uh, sorcerers were, were mediums who tried to contact the dead for answers. It is very likely that they were demon-possessed. Uh, and, and then you had the astrologers. The word translated astrologer was actually the word Chaldean, which described the people from that region of the world who had been there a long time. The Chaldeans were considered the wise men of the region. As a matter of fact, they were also astronomers. They studied the heavens and the stars. Now, don't miss this. 600 years later, wise men from the east would journey to Bethlehem to see the baby king because they had seen his star in the sky. By the time 600 years passes, Babylon has become 
Persia, the Magi, who come to visit at the feet of the infant Christ are the wise men from Persia who have come because they've seen his star in the sky. I'm convinced they came because of Daniel's ministry and prophetic words and the example that Daniel left that was still living on in the hearts of the people who had been influenced by him 600 years later. You see, nothing happens in a vacuum, folks. What you are doing today that you do for the kingdom of Christ will and can impact generations to come long after you're gone. Okay, let's go on the text. It says, when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. And the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Now, it's really interesting. In the, in the ancient language, the first, part, uh, first chapter and the first part of the second chapter are in Hebrew. And at this point in time, it switches into the language of Aramaic and is Aramaic through the seventh chapter. And, and what happens in these chapters applies to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. And so Daniel incorporates the use of more of a universal understood language of the day. And Daniel would have been adept at both of those languages, Hebrew and Aramaic. And the king replied to his astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house is turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. (laughs) Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king. However great and mighty has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Wow! You talk about a bad Monday morning. This is a bad Monday morning. You know, the boss calls you in and says, I had a bad dream last night. You say, oh, really? And you say, yeah, but I think there's an interpretation. Oh, what was the dream? I don't know what the dream is. If you want to keep your job, you tell me what the dream is, and you tell me how to interpret it. And if not, you won't just lose your job. You're going to lose everything. Who could do that? You talk about unrealistic expectations, unrealistic demands. Here is unrealistic at its zenith. Now, I realize that most of us don't have to face down that kind of testing and trial on the job, but, but sometimes you are asked to do things that are unreasonable. And if you don't do it or you can't do it, it may affect, well, a promotion, could affect a job raise. It might even affect your job. You might lose your job because the boss says, you can't handle this. Somebody else will. Here's your papers. You you, you do that in a marriage, and the marriage is probably going to crumble. So, when there is no earthly answer available, where do you turn? 
How can we learn? Well, let me give you a few things real quickly this morning. Here's the first one. Expect the unexpected. We, we live in a broken world. Surprises happen all the time. Why are we always so surprised when they do? If, if we would stop being so naive and recognize the simple fact that there are going to be things that happen that we didn't see coming, so learn to expect the unexpected, all right? And that'll help you to begin with. Second of all, don't overreact. When the unexpected does happen, don't throw up your hands. Don't overreact because that won't help the situation at all. Have you ever unleashed your frustration on something and then realized you were missing a key piece of information that changed the whole story? And because you reacted before you had all the information and you said what you did and feelings were hurt, it's, it's really hard to mend those kinds of situations. Perhaps you've made too many assumptions about things. Perhaps you never considered that you could be a part of the problem. We've all done that. So, when the unexpected happens, until you get all the pieces of the puzzle, just stay calm. Don't overreact. When you find yourself in those moments that are potentially explosive, just stay calm. You've learned to expect the unexpected. Now, just don't overreact when it comes. Here's the third thing. Be realistic in your own demands of others. You know, if you don't want people to be unreasonable when they expect things of you, then don't you be unreasonable and expect things of others that they can't fulfill. I read about a man in China who last August went to his local McDonald's and ordered a spicy chicken sandwich. When it came, he took a bite and discovered it was spicier than he was expecting, so he called the police. Now, you'd think, wouldn't you, that in a case like that, you'd just take the sandwich back up to the counter and explain that it's spicier, then could you give me something else, talk to the manager, and call the police. I don't know what he wanted done. I mean, who, who are you going to arrest in a situation like that? You know, and it wasn't false advertising. It was called spicy chicken. I mean, after all, there's things such as General Tso's chicken and there's Szechuan beef. Those are hot things. Those are advertised as spicy. He should have been expecting that. It reminded me of a lady here in the U.S. who several years ago sued McDonald's because she was taking a bite of her hot hamburger and hot pickles fell out of the burger onto her chin and burned her chin. I'm telling you, hot pickles is not the only thing that lady is missing in life. <laughs> no, no country has a corner on the market when it comes to bizarre, unrealistic kinds of expectations. But, but here, here's the setting. If we don't want people to be unrealistic with us, then we ought not to be unrealistic with them. We need to extend patience and grace and mercy because we would like for us to be treated that way. And, and here's the bottom line. Even when somebody continues to treat you unreasonably, you respond with patience, grace, and mercy because it's not about tit for tat. It is about you reflecting the values of what God has called us to reflect. So you're not doing it for their sake. You're doing it for your sake as a student and follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you remember the parable that Jesus told about the, the king who called in debts uh, and, and he had a, had a servant that owed him uh, an, an unrealistic 
debt. I mean, it was a debt, it was astronomical. The man couldn't pay off the debt in a dozen lifetimes. And he brings him in and he says, it's time to pay up. And he says, I can't pay up, I can't pay up. And he said, but if you'll give me enough time, which was, you know, it couldn't have happened anyway. And he said, oh, he said it's all right. so if you can't pay, I'm going to put you in prison, I'm going to sell your family. And he said, oh, please don't do that. And then the king stops in the parable. He says, okay, you know what? It's a good day. I'm just going to wipe the slate clean. I'm just going to forgive the whole debt. And he stamped his bill paid in full. And the man goes out of the palace with a spring in his step and a song in his heart. And he's walking down the sidewalk free as a bird. And he finds a co-worker who owes him a small debt. And he grabs him by the collar and he shakes him and says, pay me everything that you owe me. And the man gives him the same kind of story he just gave to the king. And he says, I can't right now, but I will. If you'll give me enough time, I will pay it back. Now, you would expect, wouldn't you, for him to say, you know what, I've just been forgiven a great debt, I'm going to forgive a small debt. But no, he says, I want it now, and if you can't pay me, I'm going to throw you into prison. And he throws him into prison, and when the king hears about it, the king calls the first man back in, and he says, I'm reversing the decision. If you couldn't forgive him his small debt after I forgave you your astronomical debt, then you're not going to get out of it either. The point of the parable was what Jesus was teaching was unforgiveness. If God is able to forgive us for all of the things that we've done to offend him, then how can we not forgive those around us who have offended us in small things? We have been unreasonable and unrealistic in our sin. And if God can forgive us, then we ought to extend the same grace and mercy to others. So, when somebody is treating you unrealistically and unreasonably, you respond with the grace and the mercy of God. Last thing. Seek the Lord's wisdom when everything else seems unreasonable. When the supposed wise men of Babylon could not meet the king's unrealistic expectation, he unleashed a volley of criticism on them that ended in a promise of death if they couldn't come through. You can't remember my dream? I know you didn't have the dream. You can't tell me what my dream is? You're dead. Now, have you ever felt the unreasonable, unleashed wrath of somebody uh, against you. Uh, maybe you've been humiliated by a spouse, a parent, a friend, a peer, or a boss in a public environment where others hear and you're just reduced to tears because of it. Now, sometimes the criticism may be deserved. You may have done something that deserved some criticism, but that doesn't make it easier to handle, and it doesn't make the environment and the way it's done right. I think we can all relate to what Franklin Jones wrote. He said, honest criticism is hard to take, especially when it comes from a relative, a friend, an acquaintance, or a stranger. I mean, we don't like criticism from anybody. It's hard to handle because we feel like it is hurting us. What we need to do is to see criticism as a tool to help us, not as a weapon to harm us. At times, the best gift a friend or a spouse can give you is an honest evaluation of your flaws, as uncomfortable as that may be. Surgery is never pleasant. Surgery is never fun or easy, but it may save your life. Listen to the wise advice from John Wanamaker. He said, whatever you have to say to people, be sure you say it in words that will cause them to smile and you'll be on pretty safe ground. And when you do find it necessary to criticize someone, put your criticism in the form of a question which the other person is practically sure to have to answer in a manner that he becomes his own critic. Wise counsel. That's constructive criticism. 
Its intention is to have a positive effect. But unfortunately, much of what we receive is negative and destructive. That seems to be just kind of our nature. When I mess up, and I mess up, I don't like criticism, but at least I can handle the criticism directed at me because it's deserved. I messed up. But being criticized for something I had nothing to do with, now that's hard to take. And that's where Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar's council found themselves in the presence of the king. Tell me the dream and give me an interpretation or your life is over. Wow. Now knowing how you feel when it comes to unrealistic criticism, that should make you more cautious and careful when it comes to criticizing others. Comedian Steve Martin said, before you criticize a man, walk a mile in his shoes. That way, when you do criticize him, you'll be a mile away and you'll have his shoes. <laughs> a woman who really loved her dog and, and was reading in one of these pet health care kind of magazines read where a um, teaspoonful of castor oil was good for a dog every day. And so she decided she would do that. And it became a fight every day. I mean, she'd grab the dog and she had the spoonful and the dog resisted it over and over again. One day when they were tussling over this spoonful of castor oil, the dog's tail whipped around, hit the bottle of castor oil, and it spilled all over the floor, at which point the dog began to lap up the castor oil. <laughs> and she discovered it was not the castor oil that the dog disliked, it was the spoon. Sometimes it's not the medicine, but the way the medicine is delivered that hurts the most, that we dislike the most. So, when you have to deal out tough things, do it with grace and kindness and mercy. Do you remember what we learned from Proverbs? Proverbs 28, verse 23 says, in the end, people appreciate honest criticism far more than flattery. Proverbs 27, 21 says, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. Proverbs 27, 9, the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. You see, if you can balance criticism, and if you can balance praise, and if you can trust a good friend whose counsel is as sweet as incense, you will grow even through the unreasonable moments of life, through the unrealistic demands that are foisted upon you. By the way, how are you doing with your Proverbs reading? One chapter a day, remember, for the whole month. Whether it's a family member or a friend, speak honestly to those around you. Be genuine with your praise. Be gentle with your critique. Speak in the Spirit of Christ. Now, th this, uh, this whole story is way too long to get one, done in one sermon. So there's a second part to this sermon when we see how Daniel handles things. But uh, what I want you to see here is that Daniel did spend time in prayer getting ready for how he was to respond. It was for Daniel, it was not a last resort or a secondhand expectation or even a doubtful superstitious activity. He prayed in the full expectation that only God could save them in this unrealistic situation. So I'm going to ask you, do you pray like that when you find yourself facing unrealistic demands? Do you pray believing that there is no earthly answer, but God has it? Because you see, folks, just because there's no earthly answer doesn't mean there's not an answer. It just means the answer is not going to come from around you. It's going to come from above you. And so in those unreasonable moments, spend some time in prayer. And in contrast to the hopelessness of the pagan cabinet, who said that only the gods could accomplish this, but they don't live among men. Ah, Daniel knew differently, and so do we. 
The great news of the gospel is that God does indeed live among us. He came in the form of his son, and when Jesus left, he gave us his spirit to be with us forever. They were wrong when they said the gods do not live among us. Well, the gods don't, but the God of heaven, the creator God, the savior God, the sustainer God does.